college football season is finally here. Virginia Tech and UVA get their years underway against in-state foes with recent histories of upsets of the Hokies and the Hoos. Should make for interesting debuts for new coaches Brent Pry and Tony Elliott. We'll talk about that a whole lot more, including some sports betting insight from Front Page Bets GM Mike Sveditz this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome to episode 86 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, HCC beat writer for the paper. And here with me, as always, my co-host, the 14-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, are you ready for some football? Absolutely. Good Monday afternoon to you. Yeah, good to hear your voice. And pretty soon I'll I'll be in person Friday night in Norfolk. And uh, it it is that time of year. But David, we're starting this weekend. Some people got rolling last weekend. Did, Did you watch any of the what they call week zero games? A little bit on, on and off. Caught some of uh, N- Nebraska Northwestern over uh, across the pond in, in Dublin, and then a little bit of Florida State, Duquesne, and Carolina, Florida a and you, you and I had similar uh, channel surfing plans for, for the day. It was still a, mostly I, I spent it working in the yard and a few other things around the house, but I did I did get to take in some of that debacle in Dublin uh, for Scott Frost and uh, – you know, I don't know if that onside kick cost in the game. It probably didn't, but it certainly adds another log on the fire when you do lose and people want to criticize you. Uh, he, he's in an interesting spot there at, at his alma mater. Well, especially after going 0-8, an unprecedented 0-8 last season in one-score games, and then to drop another one in this year's opener. And it, Mike, it just goes to show you, we've talked about this before, every coaching hire is a crapshoot. Yeah. Frost was the perfect textbook candidate for this job. You know, takes UCF to an undefeated magical season. He's a Nebraska guy, and it is not working. It is not working. And, and, you know, you always bring up a good point with that, you know, who wins the press conference, who hits the home run higher. And, you know, I go back to after the 2015 season when I thought Virginia Tech hit it out of the park with Justin Fuente, and I thought UVA was out of their minds for going west and bringing in Bronco Mendenhall. And uh, the Fuente thing fizzled quickly. Mendenhall had some really good success, including winning a division. So uh, who knows? Uh and certainly, yeah, Scott Frost uh, was about as good a fit for the Cornhuskers as you could have. And I think that's part of the reason there's so much panic out there in Lincoln, right? Yes. Because uh, things aren't going well. Things aren't going well. Well, here's the answer. And the answer turns out not to solve any of your problems. Uh, that means your problems are potentially rooted a, a little more deeply and uh, not major problems for Virginia Tech and UVA, but still two new coaches, two fresh starts for these programs. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech certainly has been uh, disappointing the, the last few years under Fuente. UVA fell off there at the end, but Bronco got them to, to some pretty good uh, points in his tenure. But now here comes Tony Elliott at Virginia. Here comes Brent Pry. And uh, David, this is going to be my 21st season covering college football in Virginia. Uh, my first was 2002 covering UVA back for the, the Daily News record in, in Harrisonburg and uh, the late, great Chris Simmons. And 
actually found a set of my credentials uh, for that season as I was trying to clean up here my my home office to get us ready for the year. And I put those out on Twitter. Twitter. I know a lot of people uh, had some interesting comments about the the credentials back in 2002. And I feel like 20 years here in, in one state's been a pretty good run. But uh, remind me, what, what season number is this going to be for you? Well, this will be my 40th covering the ACC in, in college football, uh, and 39 of them here in the common. 40th year, let's see, that would make me three when you started, uh, which was the age of my son now. So it kind of all puts things into perspective uh, for me a little bit. <laughs> David, are you as excited for season number 40 uh, as you were for the ones earlier in your career? Absolutely. Yeah. No, this is this is why we do what we do. And because there's always intrigue, there's always curiosity. Uh, none of this, as far as we know, is scripted. So <laughs> we just have literally no clue what we might see when we enter a press box or sit on press row. And that is the charm of this business. It really is. It's it's not the WWE. It's it's not scripted. Uh, we're not pushing we, out any. We're telling ourselves that, right? We're not pushing out conspiracy theories here. There there are plenty of podcasts. If that's where you want want to go, that's not our our lane. But yeah, I was walking the dogs in the neighborhood, and somebody asked me actually, you know, how how many years have you been doing this? I said this will be my twentieth college football season. And they, they said, they're somebody who gets very excited for <laughs> the start of college football. They said, it must get old for you. And I said, 20 years, it hasn't gotten old yet. And, and maybe yeah. when it gets old, that's that's time to retire. But uh, neither of us are there. Both of us are excited to get together Friday night in Norfolk for Virginia Tech Old Dominion. <sighs> I think the Hokies clearly a, a favorite in this game, eight and a half points, and, and, and probably in my mind, a bigger favorite than that. David, what are what are you most curious to see out of Brent Pry's Virginia Tech team? Grant Wells. Yeah. I've never seen him. It, <laughs> I saw him in the spring game, and so I'm chucking around in the indoor for a few practices. Other than that, he is a mystery. I, I didn't go back and break down Marshall <laughs> tape. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I, I spent I, your son. Well, you were in Italy, so yes, you good, exactly. You have a good I, excuse. Bit better things to do, but <laughs> uh, I, I did look at, at at some of his highlights, particularly against old. There's a YouTube package out there <laughs> of highlights from last year's Marshall Old Dominion game, and so I, I, I did watch those. But now he he's the one I'm most curious to see because number one of the unknown, the mystery. Number two, because of how much the Virginia Tech coaching staff, particularly quarterbacks coach Brad Glenn, has talked him up. Yeah. And he, he's the most accurate quarterback I've coached. And I'm like, okay, this is a cat who threw 13 interceptions last season. That's not very accurate. So did did he suddenly you know, morph into a, you know, a, a precision passer? Is it, is it the, the scheme that Glenn and offensive coordinator Tyler Bowen have, uh, have developed for him? I don't know, but he's the one I want to see. Yeah, no doubt. And we, we talked at the opening about how long we've been doing this. And one thing we don't know yet is what is the level of hyperbole <laughs> with these, these two new coaching staffs, right? right. Uh, we, we've all covered coaches mm -hmm. who, 
could have Michael Jordan and would act like he should be the 12th guy on the bench. Uh, and we've all covered guys who have had the 12th guy on the bench and, and acted like he was Michael Jordan. So uh, where do these guys fall in, in terms of that? Um, are they prone to heap praise on players? Do they play it close to the vest? Um, and, and the Wells will be Wells will be a great experiment for that because the coaches are very high on him. Uh, and and they're, I thought it was interesting. You make a great point. Their praise doesn't necessarily line up with what we saw from him at Marshall, yeah. right? Like Marshall, he was a really good playmaker. He was very competitive, a lot of great things, but accuracy wasn't the one that jumped off the page for you or jumped off the screen for you. So it's interesting that they've talked about that. They've talked about ball security. Uh, certainly they need that. Will they have a run game, David, to support mm-hmm. him? Because um, I don't think he is... Uh, a running quarterback in the vein of, of some of the guys they've had in the past, right? Like I, he can move the chains certainly, but I don't think this is a guy who's going to be their leading rusher this year. No. Uh, what, what will they have in a traditional run game? That's something I'm really curious uh, to see here in the opener. And who's healthy right. for, for the opener, Mike? Malachi Thomas has been out for quite some time this preseason camp. And more recently, so has Jalen Holston. So are, are we going to get a heavy dose of Keyshawn King, perhaps, on, on Friday night? I don't know. Yeah, they've been you know talking about getting to know a new coaching staff. They've mm-hmm. been fairly uh, tight-lipped, close to the vest in terms of um, what's wrong with guys, right? They've been pretty open about, hey, who's in, who's out, who's missing. And, and there's been some you know open practice opportunities to see things, but not a ton of details in terms of what guys are dealing with. And uh, that will certainly be interesting. I'm curious to see this defense, David curious doesn't always have a negative connotation, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think this defense can be really good. I think they've got playmakers at every level. Uh, You know, we know about Dax Holyfield, uh, Taiwan Garbett, Norrell Pollard up front. I think that can be a really good, good group. The coaches have absolutely raved about Dorian Strong at corner. Uh, I think, you know, he can be an NFL prospect and a great player. Chamari Connor is a guy that has all the tools to be that playmaker uh, in safety. Yeah, if in that old tech spot, he was sort of the the whip, which was a, a mm-hmm. safety slash backer slash. And I think this scheme seems like they're going to use um, those skills, at least for Chamari. Um, I think this defense has the potential to be really, really good. You've got a head coach who was a defensive coordinator in his background, defensive coordinator at Penn State. Um, so curious in the positive sense, I want to see how good this defense looks. I want to see Jaden Keller. Too, you know, everyone, yep. in, in, including us, I think, presume that Alan Tisdale, the incumbent, would would be a starter there at linebacker. But Keller sounds like if he doesn't start, he is going to get a lot of snaps. And the staff likes his range, and length, and athleticism, and that's something that Virginia Tech has lacked there at linebacker. So I'm I'm very interested to see him as well. Yeah, they've got some pieces there on the defensive side. I think that could be uh, really not just good, but really exciting playmaking type guys. And uh, I didn't bother doing this research, David. So remind me, the last time Virginia Tech went to Norfolk, what happened? <laughs> I, I don't recall off the top of my head. <laughs> it was, it was Mike, it was one of the damnedest nights I've ever spent in a press box because Old Dominion stunk previous to that game. They were winless. Virginia Tech had opened the season 
on the road in Tallahassee on Labor Day night, and Bud Foster's defense was brilliant that evening. Then they follow up with a routine FCS route of, of William and you know, and then they had that cancellation against East Carolina over weather. Oh, tech fans remember that. Oh, yes, they do. And, and so do the East Carolina fans. That, that was quite the kerfuffle. <laughs> but after that, that, that team was never the same. They saunter into Norfolk. They're a four-touchdown favorite. And and I had you know the, the, the guts of a column ready to go as soon as it got sideways and it never did. And Blake LaRussa all of a sudden morphed into Tom Brady. And Old Dominion's wideouts were, were making plays. I mean, some of Virginia Tech's DBs were right there. But guys like Travis Fulgham start making these acrobatic catches. And not only did Old Dominion win, they won by two scores. Yeah, that was, uh, and that was a pretty good receiving court, Old Dominion. But overall, it was yes. not a great team. Uh, nope. Now, that was Bobby Wilder. Those were different players. Now it's Ricky Ronnie. Uh, That was Justin Fuente. Those were different players. Now it's Brent Pry. Does that upset matter? Does it factor at all into this year's meeting? Is it is it on either team's bulletin board? I can't imagine that. It, it, if it's on the bulletin board, I would have serious doubts that it resonates yeah. with anyone because they weren't a part of it. And we all like to, and, and we'll all mention it, and th- that's all well. And the fans will obviously be, be thinking about it. But for the young men between the lines, I, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I mean, if anything, it's a, uh, you know, when I played high school football, we, we always had Friday night, our coach would tell us, he called them special team stories. And it was just three stories from the previous week. NFL, college, high school of games that turned on special teams. Mm. And it was just a reminder of, hey, this is important. Um, yeah, you want to play offense. Yeah, you want to play defense. Don't forget special teams. So to me, if it, if it comes up on the Virginia Tech side, it's, hey, we're favorites. Yeah, we're, we're the team that should win this matchup, but it can happen. Uh, be aware of it. I don't think it's more than that. Now, David, where it becomes a huge story is if Old Dominion wins this one again, <laughs> right? Because then it's a trend, and then you're then you're winless in Norfolk, and, and it's not just the one visit. Uh, it's an interesting matchup. Uh, Brent Pry, Ricky Ronnie, they work together. They're good friends. I did a story in the offseason where Ricky and Brent both told me, hey, these are guys that would have been bouncing ideas off each other left and right this offseason. You know, Brent's first year as a head coach, Ricky coming off his first year as a head coach. There would have been some serious idea sharing Except for, oh, the fact that <laughs> they play each other in the opener. But that, that's a fun dynamic, I think, in this matchup as well. It, it, it truly is. And they worked together, I believe, Mike, for nine years mm-hmm. under James Franklin, both at Vanderbilt and at Penn State. And as Ronnie was, was mentioning at the Monarchs Media Day last week, they, were, they, they both had similar career tracks and that they were co-coordinators on opposite sides of the ball, Ronnie on offense, offense. So they were like the backup quarterbacks. They were very popular. But then when they became the coordinators by title, then they got the brunt of the criticism as coordinators often, rightly or wrong. So they, they, they kind of lived that and experienced it simultaneously. And I, I think that kind of adds to their bond. And, you know, the, the, the odd, you know, you were mentioning being interested to see how Virginia Tech's defense plays on Friday night. Well, 
Brent or uh, excuse me, Ricky Ronnie has coached twelve games at Old Dominion. He's now on his third offensive court. <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> That's an that unsustainable is. ratio. You, you can't. You can't keep doing. That's interesting. You know, um, Dave Pattonout, who was the offensive coordinator at Georgia Tech last year, uh, was brought in to be the offensive coordinator at Old Dominion. Uh, he and, and Ricky worked through the spring to kind of blend their their offensive ideas. Uh, take what Ricky does with with what Dave does, and then they blended it together. And and then here earlier this month. They announced that that Dave is out, uh, no details shared, and uh, Ricky's kind of reshuffling his staff to to have a new OC. And uh, I mean, I imagine that the vision for the offense isn't going to change dramatically from what they were yeah. working on in the spring. But um, certainly, that's a, another wrinkle in, in this matchup, and you know, it helps that, that Ricky Ronnie's been an offensive coordinator, right? He can yeah. he can step in and take a bigger role there, but less than ideal. Yeah, I mean. Ricky Ryan, he brought in Kirk Campbell mm-hmm. with him from Penn State when he when he took the – and then the day after the regular season finale last year, when, by the way, they scored 56 against Charlotte <laughs> to become bowl eligible, he fires Kirk Campbell. And for the bowl against Tulsa, Kevin Reiner, who's the offensive line coach, he becomes the interim OC. Then, as you mentioned, Pat Nowd, comes in. He doesn't last a full preseason camp. Now Reitner is back as OC. So who knows? Yeah, it's certainly an interesting uh, shuffle that they had there. And uh, I, I don't imagine it helps them in any way, <laughs> uh, at least going into this matchup, maybe long-term, it'll be a good move for them. So, David, we both feel like Tech is deservingly a, a favorite and more than touchdown favorite in this one. So other than winning the game, which you play to win the game. I know. <laughs> Other than winning the game, what constitutes success? What, what, what do you need to see from Virginia Tech to be encouraged uh, Friday night? Efficiency from, from Grant Wells. I think some, you know, Brent Pry's known for his aggression on defense, and that can leave you prone to big plays. So can they be both aggressive and avoid the long gains that they gave up in just so many different ways in that 2018 game that we talked. And then what about the Virginia Tech receiver? Is Daywan Lofton really that that player? Can he show us? What about Jaden? Does he show that he's the guy from 2019 at Temp who caught malls for hearts? And is Caleb Smith of the spring game going to translate to the regular season? It's going to be interesting to see that there are some pieces there in that receiving core that I think can be good. I think the tight end room is really deep and can be productive uh, if used properly. Um you know, so yes, certainly winning is, is objective number one, uh, but there's going to be some other things that uh, will, will tell maybe more about the future for Virginia Tech uh, as we get through that game and, and see how it progresses. But should be a fun one. I'm looking forward to being back in, in a press box with you uh, Friday night, and then I'll spend the night, I think in Williamsburg maybe, part of the way home, and then back in the morning for, for Richmond at UVA and the debut game for Tony Elliott. Now, Bronco Mendenhall made his debut in 2016 against Richmond. It didn't go well. <laughs> uh, Richmond not only beat them and, and beat Virginia soundly, but that was the game that Bronco was so struck by the lack of life and energy on the sideline uh, that he kind of went back and, and scrapped his plans and started coaching 
effort and, and that third side and all of those other things that, that, uh, you know, became big parts of the program. Um, you know, he basically candidly said, I don't, I didn't realize how bad things were. <laughs> uh, and Richmond exposed that it doesn't feel like we're looking at a similar matchup this time. I feel like this Virginia program, thanks in part to Broncos work, uh, is in a much better place for Tony Elliott. Uh, David, would, would you agree? And, and what are you looking for out of the Cavaliers? Oh, Tony Elliott here, it's a much situation than did six years, starting on, on, on under center. I mean, <laughs> having, having Brennan Armstrong out is a real luxury that did not in 2016. So neat on Saturday at Scott Stadium. I'd be shocked if, if only because Richmond's defense, according to Russ Hughes, now you walk this back somewhat earlier today on the CA Zoom, but he was not real pleased with it at times during. And if an FCS coach is not happy with his defense and he's about to go up against Brennan Armstrong and that bunch, that's not such a good sign. No, and, and curious with, with Russ if it was uh, truly a, a displeasure with the defense or just lighting a fire because he knows they're going to have to play out of their minds uh, yeah. to contain some of those weapons at UVA. And uh, maybe the message there was, hey, if this was good enough last year, it's not good enough in this matchup. It's not good enough when you've got Brennan Armstrong and Keaton Thompson and Dontavian Wicks and Billy Kemp and Lavelle Davis Jr. back and, and all the weapons. So we say that. What are you most curious to see from from UVA, and um, you know where, where are your eyes going to be focused on on, on Saturday? On the defensive side for for the Cavaliers, because I think the offensive side is Richmond's strength. I I cannot imagine that the Virginia staff did not spend a whole lot of time look VMI tape because you look at the Richmond offense, new OC Billy Kosh from VMI. New quarterback, Reese Yudinsky from VMI. Best wideout, Jake Harris from VMI. There's a virtual so, raid, a virtual raid in Lexington. Yes. So, you know, John Rosinski and, and the rest of that defensive staff have been all over Kedat's take. So, that, t- to me, that's interesting. And, and because those th- that Richmond conti- or that VMI contingent now at Richmond is so accustomed, I think the Spiders will much more and effective on that side against a defense that we all expect or that has to be for the Cavalry to be successful. The, the storyline a year ago was record-setting offense and uh, inept defense that, mm-hmm. that rendered it kind of pointless. And they ended up six and six. And, you know, Radzinski's scheme seems to be designed to um, avoid shootouts, right? right. It, it, they're not willing to give up the big play. They'll, they'll give up stuff underneath, make you earn it, tighten up in the red zone. Uh, you know, I don't know how many players this camp have said to me some variation, and I think I've said it on here, but some variation of, hey, it takes three field goals to outscore one touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's a pretty good kind of insight into where they're looking and um it's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting matchup i'm interested in in richmond's offense because billy Koch was actually a quarterback at jmu when i was covering that team uh, he had transferred in unless i'm mixing up my years uh he had transferred in as a quarterback and so i covered him as a player it'll be interesting to see his his team now uh as a coach and my biggest question and, and it's been the question since the year ended and, and all these guys left, but the offensive line at Virginia, you've got Brennan Armstrong. He's great. You've got these receivers. They're great. Tony Elliott's talked about wanting to establish a traditional run game. We've been hearing that for years, but that that's, that's all well and good. 
do they have five guys up front who can block? And through camp, it's been a struggle because they haven't had the same five guys healthy, right? They might have a vision of, of what they think the line will be and can be, but it's going to be a group that hasn't worked together much because guys have just been in and out with you know, minor, it's easy for me to say a minor injury when it's not on my body, but uh, <laughs> minor injuries for sideline guys. And so they don't, they won't have that continuity. They won't have that experience together. We talked earlier, you know, with the new tech staff about hyperbole, what, what you hear, what coaches give you and they don't, this coaching staff has not been dwelling on the challenge of fixing the offensive line. Now, I don't know if that's confidence in coach 2J, if it's confidence in the pieces they have, or if it's simply the mindset of, we're not going to go in there with this excuse that we have a bad line. Uh, but if you're just taking them at face value, they're not wildly concerned about replacing their offensive linemen, whereas I am wildly concerned for them. <laughs> yes. And for Brendan Armstrong's health. For Brendan health. Armstrong's health. Yeah. I mean, that jumps out to me. If they are competent on the offensive this offense has a chance to really end I, again, I don't know how much we'll learn Saturday, but week two, and we, we were talking earlier about week zero, caught a little bit, as I know you did, of yeah. Illinois-Wyoming. That's right. And that being of interest because that's where the Cavaliers head in in week two off to Champaign to, to play the – so I, we're going to learn a whole lot more about the offensive line of the defense when they play – a middling Big Ten team. Yeah. And it was it was hard to judge Illinois because Wyoming couldn't tackle anybody. So yeah. Illinois plays Indiana here this week, and I'm guessing that'll be a better uh, film review for the coaches. But uh, So what? same question that we talked about with the Hokies, other than winning, obviously you want to beat the Spiders. Tony Elliott wants to start his tenure with a victory. Other than that, what, what constitutes success? What do we want to see from the Cavaliers in this one? Def- not defensive dominance, but... A, a defense that I think they should limit Richmond to fewer than three touchdowns. That's good. Yeah, those, those are good numbers. I, I My words were the defense should control the game. Yeah. Right? That they, 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 they should sure. not uh, give up points. So they shouldn't give up the big plays that plagued them a year ago. And yeah, you want to make teams earn it down the field, but I think they should be able to stop Richmond short of the red zone plenty of times as well. Uh, not just have them settling for field goals, but um it's a defensive control to the game, and, and you're right. If this offensive line is going to be competent, if it's going to be functional, if it's going to be serviceable, it should look pretty good against Richmond sure. uh, before the competition ramps up. Well, since the college football season is rolling, that means I'm sure many of our listeners no have probably gotten rolling with their sports betting. And with that in mind, each week we're going to be joined by Mike Sveditz, the general manager of Front Page Bets. And before that venture, my boss at the Richmond Times-Dispatch. So, Mike, how are you, sir? What's up, Mike? How you doing, bud? I'm good. It's great to hear from you. Always good to reconnect. And it's going to be a lot of fun doing this segment each week, looking at some of the matchups, the lines, the point spreads here in college football. But why don't you start here by, by introducing our listeners. Uh, tell them a little bit about what you're doing at, at front, FrontPageBets.com. Yeah, so Front Page Bets is is a uh, Lee Enterprises sports betting vertical. So, as you know, and, and and people who listen to the podcast, which which you and, and David Teal do a great job. I just want to plug that. And, and and the other thing though too is like you forgot I was your boss twice. I was your I was your immediate boss 
um, as a sports editor, then I was your boss's boss as the managing editor. So I just want to make sure we're all clear on that before well, the, uh, the the pecking um, order. There's no question about the pecking order here. <laughs> so, but but hey, this is David and I's show, so we're the boss now. That's true. No, you are, and thank you for having me on. I, I really appreciate <laughs> it. But uh, yeah, front page bets is is um, you know it, it's the sports betting vertical um, from Lee Enterprises, which which as as everybody knows, um, you know Lee Enterprises owns 77 different mar- uh, newspapers and websites across. 77 different markets in the country and so uh you know we 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 started a sports betting vertical last i think december is when we really started you know kind of it all came together it was in play a couple months before that but we launched uh the week of the super bowl and uh you know sports betting in, in the industry of sports betting is the fastest growing industry in the world i mean i think in by 2025, it's supposed to be a 125 billion dollar industry. Oh. Uh, we've seen it. We've seen it grow across the United States just in the last couple of years since it's been legalized. You know, sports sports betting has been legalized in more than 30 different states across the country. And, and if you haven't had a chance to check it out, please do. Uh, good content in terms of previewing events, giving you not just a look at, at the games and the matchups, but kind of how it factors into if you are going to bet and, and, and the point spreads and all that. And that's what we're going to delve into each week here with you, Mike. And, and obviously there are limitations <laughs> within, you mentioned the laws are different, kind of state to state. And in Virginia, uh, you can't bet on, on the Commonwealth schools, uh, but those lines are out there. And, and I know for a fact that many of our listeners are uh, not Virginia residents. And uh, those that are sometimes find other ways of getting in some action here on, on the locals. So we're going to look at those each week. And, and let's start right now with looking at Virginia Tech and UVA. And Mike, a really interesting thing to me, as somebody who doesn't know as much about the sports betting space, how does Vegas take into account the fact that Hey, Tony Elliott's a first-time coach at UVA. Hey, Brent Pry is a first-time head coach at Virginia Tech. You don't have that that body of work that that these uh, guys who set the lines normally delve into. How does that impact uh, maybe the reliability of, of those lines here, at least for the first couple of weeks? Yeah, well, I think you've got to first take in consideration like nobody really does know what these teams are going to do, you know, and that's why it's gambling, right? Even the <laughs> even the best sharps and 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 you know betters out there they're 50 percent. 50 percent is 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 you know hall of fame numbers when it comes to this kind of stuff just because you can't you can't ever be a hundred percent right that's why it's called gambling and that's why it's sports betting but that's what the fun fun about it so you really don't really know what somebody's going to do what a team's going to do what a coach is going to do especially a first-year coach but i think what you have to do is you have to look at their body of work where they've been right so you look at Tony Elliott and see what he did at Clemson, you know, with Dabo Sweeney and the success that they had there. You say, okay, what kind of offense does he bring in? What kind of game plan does he have? And then who does he have, you know, running the show with him? You know, when you look at you look at the quarterback and the wide receivers at UVA and you say, wow, that he's already got, you know, the cupboard's not bare, right? Uh, Bronco Mendenhall did not leave him uh, with an empty cupboard. And he comes in with Brennan Armstrong and three wide receivers who could be probably one of the top two or three rye receiver uh, you know courts in the country and um you look at that and you say okay we know what tony elliott's about with clemson we know the kind of talent he has we know into a uva and you start building it from there same thing with brent pry and in tech you look at where he was at penn state and how he in the defense there he's a defensive guy coming in what does virginia tech have you know you know more than i do mike but virginia tech you talk about a, a, a bare cupboard you know, you might be digging back for some, you know, SpaghettiOs or something back there in the back to try to find what's going on at Virginia Tech. Um, but 
you really don't know, but you know kind of what you you know. And I think so when you're looking at those the, the pedigree from those coaches coming in, you look at the staffs, you look at the talent that they have, that's where you start. And I think when you look at a, a Virginia Tech team that – has fallen on some hard times, you know, obviously just went um, you know, tenure there following Frank Beamer and the success they had early and then, you know, falling off and, and the way that and what they have coming back or lack thereof, you start with that. And then you look at UVA and you say, okay, you know, Tony Elliott had success at Clemson, um, you know, Bronco Mendenhall had these guys on an upward trajectory. They've got some of them back. Um, and, and, and so you go there. So if you're just looking at, you know, even the win, you know, what's their over under win total? You know, you're looking at Virginia's kind of starting a little bit further ahead than Virginia Tech when it comes to the futures betting, when you look at odds make and where they're expected to fall at the end of the season. Um, and then you work backwards from Sure. And I'm sure a lot of that Virginia uh, betting action has to do with the schedule, which is very manageable for Tony Elliott in year one. Let's, let's start, though, with Brent Pry and the Hokies. They're going to Old Dominion. Uh, they are eight and a half point favorites. And, and Mike, you know, the last time they played Old Dominion, they won the game. The last time they played in Norfolk, however, <laughs> the Monarchs beat them. Uh, it was one of the signature losses of, of the Justin Fuente era. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's nobody left really from, from the core of those teams. But um, does that factor in at all as Vegas sets a line here of, of eight and a half that, that Virginia Tech struggled the last time they went to Norfolk? Or is that a better storyline for guys like me and, and maybe the fans? Well, I mean, I think, I think it, I think it has to matter, you know, because again, you're starting with, with from scratch. So you have to say, okay, when's the last time these two teams played? What did it look like? And when, you know, you and I both know that, you know, we were, you know, I was your, we, we, we worked that game together. Obviously I wasn't there physically, but you know, we, we knew what happened there and lost to ODU, which was, you know, not only a, a, you know, punch in the gut loss, but the way they lost and the way and, and how that game went to a team, where, you know, you would think that Virginia Tech that year was something special. And so I think you start there and I think you have to remember that. But if you look at, if you look at ODU and Tech, it's kind of two different tales to, to be honest, you know, Virginia Tech in their last 12 games. So last season, they were five and seven against the spread and they were under five of their last seven games. But the highest spread that they had was about 60 points. They never really had a game. A lot of their games were in the high forties, low fifties when it came to the over under totals and, and ODU playing in the conference in conference USA, looking at some of the, the, the games that they had, they went nine and three against the spread and their lowest over under total was 48 and a half. So twice they were over 60 points and they're over under. 66.5 points was their highest over under total against uh, Western Kentucky last year. A loss that they had, which they didn't cut, which they didn't hit the over on that one. So if you look at these just two teams, what they've done, the teams that they play, the offenses that they play, the conferences that they play in, you know, Tech is playing in the ACC where they're grinding out some games, you know, and again, you look at Tech and, oh, that's a defensive special teams. And here's the thing. A lot of times I look at a team and I see their tradition. I don't see what they are now. So when I still see Virginia Tech and I don't know, I know a lot of betters and I know a lot of people, you know, have, get a little bit more granular. But when you're looking at kind of like an overall bet, you look at Virginia Tech, I still see, you know, um, I still see that lunch pail defense, which I know Brent Price bringing back again, but I still see, you know, they're going to play three yards in a cloud of dust. They're going to kick and play defense. Um, and Fuente kind of brought in some higher power offense, but if you look at some of the just the betting trends, they were under in a lot of their games. So, and you look at ODU, throw it up, let's light up the scoreboard in the conference that they're playing in. You know, it's kind of more of a gunslinger mentality. They're hitting a lot of the overs. So you got to kind of start there and say, okay, eight and a half. 
that's a lot of points that Virginia Tech has to score. 50 and a half is the over is the is the over under. So to even get to that, obviously Virginia Tech's gonna have to put a lot of points on the board and ODU's gonna have to have to do the same. Virginia Tech's gotta gotta outscore them. Can they do that with this offense? So you start there and you look at that and you man, the last time they played Virginia Tech won, last time they played Norfolk, ODU won in a shootout. Where does that start? So I think again, you got to. That's your foundation, and you're looking at this eight and a half points for Virginia Tech on the road, not knowing what's going on. That's a lot of points to make up, more than a touchdown. You know, I, I think it's it's kind of one of those games. And I know you haven't asked me to make a pick, but if I'm looking at this game right off the bat, this could go one of two ways really quickly. And the and you know, it's kind of like throwing the football. Three things can happen, and two of them are bad. Going on the road for Virginia Tech, you know, two things can happen, and one would be really bad. <laughs> well, that's certainly not the way uh, Brent Pry would want to start with the with the really bad. Uh, so, what do you think, Mike? Are, are, are you taking the taking the points, or are you giving the points, and and are you interested in that in that over under? You mentioned the the scoring trends. I think it's going to be an under. I think when you start when you look at first games of the season, you know defenses are usually typically ahead of the offense, um, and so you're looking at, at defense. And if you take away the Northwestern Nebraska game yesterday, it was. <laughs> You know, I think, you know, Scott Frost played, you know, the second half with both hands wrapped around his throat. It's hard to, it's hard to play. It's hard to coach a game when you're, when you're thinking about losing. Um, and you know, that onside kick and don't get me started on, on, on that call. But <laughs> when you look at, when you look at defenses, usually traditionally right out of the gate, defenses are ahead of the, and when you look at going on the road, I think tech's going to play tight. Um, you know, they don't want to start off the Brett Pry era with a loss on the road to an in-state rival who, you know, for ODU and all intents and purposes, if they win this game, they, you know, they could lose the the next, you know, 11 and have a great season because they beat Tech at home. Um, so I think you, I think you're really looking at, you know, Tech's got everything to lose. That eight and a half points does scare me. I think Tech wins. I think it's an under. Can they cover? That's the question. And right now, looking at you know um, earlier in the week, early in the week, I think they cover. But let's see how practice goes. Let's see how ODU comes out. But it's it's not going to be a blowout. It won't be a double digits. If they cover, it'll be probably a nine, ten point game that they win. But I look to it be a low scoring um, and Tech playing really, really. So take take the under and, and flip a coin in terms of that eight and a half. How about you uh, are Richmond going to UVA? They kicked off the Bronco Mendenhall tenure by upsetting the Cavaliers. That was back in 2016. Uh, certainly a low point there. Virginia has built its program up. Now a new coach, Tony Elliott, he's getting his start against Richmond. There is no official line that we can find out there on this mm-hmm. one because it's an FCS game. I know there's some some sites that do it, but but Mike, if you were if you were putting a line on this game, uh, how big a favorite, and, and maybe I'm assuming here, how big a favorite is UVA at home uh, against Richmond in Tony Elliott's debut? Yeah, I think if you, I think, you know, if there's a line, and, and you mentioned that, Mike, and that's one of the things about, you know, I wanted to, I'm glad you brought up that real quick, just as an aside, you know, as far as educating and informing people about sports betting, there's a lot of lines out there, and people are like, oh, you can bet on anything. Well, you can't legally bet on everything. <laughs> And, and one of the things is, as we do as information gatherers and as trusted media, uh, which we are working for a traditional and, and legacy media that, that we value a lot, you know, if it's illegal, we don't talk about it. And so there's a lot of offshore books. There's a lot of books that aren't sanctioned, um, you know, that you can find lines on. But any reputable sports book that's legal in, in, in the United States, if there's no line on it, you, um, you can't really bet it if you can't find a, a reputable book to take it. But Having said that, with with the line, I would think that UVA would be a favorite, is a favorite, playing at home against UR. Um, you know, these are two teams that 
um, you know, kind of come into this again, trying to find themselves. Um, UVA, we, we talked about there and the newness of Elliott being and what kind of offense he has. We know some of the major players. I would think they'd be at least a, you know, a 17 point favorite at home. That's where I'd start it. Um, you know, but, you know, the University of Richmond's got some, you know, they've got they've got some talent. They bring in the quarterback from VMI last, you know, in the offseason from everything that John O'Connor, our guy at the Richmond Times Dispatch is reporting, you know, I think their offense is going to surprise them um, in Spiderland. UVA, 17 point probably favorites, um, you know, and, and looking at that kind of that offensive firepower right out of the gate, especially against UR's defense. Can they stop them? Yeah, that was always interesting watching last year. That, that especially last season with Brennan Armstrong, uh, that that over under number, uh, Vegas really liked Armstrong's potential and put some numbers up there that you kind of look at them and think, man, he's not going to hit that, is he? But then you were scared to bet against him because you, you knew he had it in him and he and he had the weapons. We'll see if he can do this year what he did last season. Mike just mentioned some of the changes, but uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun all year. And Mike, I'm really looking forward to you joining us each week to, to help us have a little fun here as we look at some of these lines and appreciate you joining me today. Yeah, but thanks, Mike, for having me. And uh, I'm looking forward to this season and talking football with you again and, and, and getting with Teal and razzing him up a little bit um, and, and just having some fun. That's Mike Sveditz. He's the general manager of Front Page Bets. He'll be joining us each week to break down the betting lines for Virginia Tech, for UVA, uh, and we'll be looking at some other things kind of nationwide and ACC-wide and sports betting. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, David. Well, let's take a look around the rest of the conference, the ACC. We mentioned earlier, we got to see a little bit of North Carolina. We got to see a little bit of Florida State. Uh, Two impressive looking offenses, albeit against lesser competition. Uh, What jumped out to you from, I guess, week zero in the ACC? Drake May. Yeah. Five touchdown passes in your debut. That's pretty good. That'll work. And uh, now the Tar Heels did get some guys nicked up. Josh Downs on the offensive side at receiver and Tony Grimes at corner. And Mac Brown said today he played it very cool as to their potential availability for in, in a very interesting game Saturday at Appalachian State. And you talk about a crowd just going to be and ready to go. That's That might be the most challenging road game, Tar Heels. And that's no offense to the rest of the ACC. That's, no, that's, a-, that's a state. That's a state matchup down there. They're going to be rare. Well, that's a great venue. I've covered mm-hmm. JMU uh, playoff game there, uh, last second loss where they, they pitched the ball near the goal line and fumbled away a, a chance to advance. And uh, that crowd gets into it. That town, Boone, they, they get into it. Uh, yeah, that's, that is not a, a, game, you know, a game on paper maybe uh, that looks – a lot easier than it actually is. App State's a quality team. Uh, that program's come certainly a long way in terms of building up to be uh, at the level it's at now. And um, yeah, you, you know, Josh Downs is as big a star as there is uh, in the conference at that receiver spot. So certainly, uh, if you're Carolina, you, you want some good news on, on his status. Yeah, and you know, you you mentioned what a quality program App State is. Seven consecutive seasons of at least nine wins. And and that's that's under three coaches. It's hard to do. Under three coaches. Jeff Satterfield, who then bounced to Louisville. Eli Drinkwitz, who was only there for a year and then bounced to to Mizzou. And now Sean Elliott. So that that they've got it going under three coaches. That tells me that that is that a program that is culture that has been built 
down in Boone and I saw somebody tweet, I think it was Ross Martin, our friend at Inside Carolina, tweeted out today that the line is really reversed here where Carolina was minus three, three and a half, and now it's either Pickham or App State minus one. Yeah. So it, it, it's a game that I think has even the, the, the Sharps going, hmm, don't know. Yeah, a really intriguing matchup. Venue plays into it. Uh, certainly health of Carolina. Florida State looked good. I, I know it's Duquesne, uh, but they look like they they have a unit that can put up some points, run the ball, uh, hit some big plays. Uh, anything you could take away there or, or you say it's Duquesne and you wait till huh, a little bit of a step up right in competition in week two? Mike, after Florida State's experience against Jacksonville State last year, I don't think anyone in Tallahassee took Duquesne for granted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're right. I saw a great tweets. So I can't. I, I should credit it. I don't remember who it was, but somebody who covers them said it's obvious that Florida State isn't playing with its food this year. Uh, yeah, which I thought was really good. They they did take care of business. They 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 absolutely did. For the first time in program history, had three hundred yard rushers. On, on Saturday and Treshawn Ward is, you know, kind of the boom starter. And then they've, they've got a defensive end who I just seemed to notice a little bit on, on the television screen and then saw some tweets from FSU media a guy named Jared verse. Who's a, who's a transfer from Albany where he was a terrific CA really made an impact his FSU. So it, it'll be interesting to watch him moving forward. And you tell you talk about taking a jump up in competition <laughs> to go from Duquesne to LSU in New Orleans on what was that Sunday night, right? Yeah, you know, we said that uh, Boone is a tough spot to play in. Don't love playing LSU in New Orleans. That's a a virtual home game there for the the Bayou Tigers. Yeah, no, uh, under a, a, a first year coach. Yeah, there'll be a, be a lot of excitement folks that folks may recognize. Yeah, <laughs> a, fam- a familiar name. Uh, I'll tell you the game though, and maybe it's my old Big East roots. Oh yeah, I'm looking forward to the backyard brawl, baby. 100%. I'm looking forward to Pitt and West Virginia. Uh, I mean, that takes me back to, you know, I went to, to Rutgers back when the Big East was a, a full functioning conference that had football and basketball and uh, Pitt WVU, man, that, that's as good as it gets in terms of a really, really uh, a rivalry that really lives up to, you know, the, the hype. Mike, I don't know the ins and outs administrative politics of the two schools, but the fact that they have not played oh. since 2011. What a shame. Yeah, that's. What well, well, just. Shouldn't I, mean, I, I, I understand the conference realign has just completely loused up so many different college football rivalries, chief among them, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and Texas, Texas a But the end of the backyard as an annual thing, to me, if I'm in, in, those, in that region, it borders on sporting tragedy. I mean, it's just terrible. No, you're right. Both fan bases love it. It oh. makes so much sense. I mean, recruiting battle. It's it's just uh, it's just a great game, and and the history of that game, the history of those programs. Uh, no, it's you know Virginia, Virginia Tech. Here, it's the same thing, right? If Virginia and Virginia Tech stopped playing now, what would fans say? And, and that's what's happened to the fans at, at Pitt and WVU. Uh, they, yeah, they need they need to find a way. I mean, that, to me, that's uh, you know what do you got? You got Clemson, South Carolina. 
right? That's non-conference, but they're going to make sure it happens. Uh, This is in that same vein. Non-conference, it's got to happen. Totally agree. And Mike, here's a a sneaky game on Saturday that I won't get to see, but I I really do want to read about it and, and follow it. From, from the laptop or however I need to. And that's serious. Number one, because those are the two Atlantic teams that UVA faces yep. this season, Louisville being permanent crossover for now. Well, no, Louisville remains a pearl. And then Syracuse being the, the rotating. There's, there's a conference opener between two coaches, really good season. Yep. In 2022, if you get my drift. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And somebody's seat is going to get even warmer after yes. that game, right? And uh, fair Maybe not, fair. not frost warm, but warm nonetheless. No, nothing's warmer than frost, which <laughs> sounds like a sentence that doesn't make sense. but oh, it uh, makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, another uh, coach potentially on the hot seat in a make or break year, and what a way to start. How about Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech? And you get, you get to open up with Clemson. That that is a uh, that is not the way to ease into. That's not Duquesne, right? That's not the way to ease into your season. It is not. And how how about compounding it? Is Georgia Tech's non-conference schedule? You obviously have the traditional regular season finale against O, what is now the reigning national champion. But you also have UCF and Ole Miss on there. I mean, yes. And, and, and we know, right? Scheduling is done so far out in far advance. advance yes. And you don't know. But this is a schedule that would have given Georgia Tech the opportunity to compete for a spot in the college football playoff if it was any good, yeah. right? If Georgia Tech was the dominant team in the ACC and then had those three non-conference games and won two of them, acquitted itself well against Georgia, I mean, that's the kind of schedule that gets you into the college football playoff. If you're lousy, and I think it's fair to say they're pretty lousy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're lousy, it's the kind of schedule that gets you just buried. Um, yes. I think about some of those Mike London years at UVA where, where they had great non-conference matchups with West Coast teams, Oregon yeah. and UCLA, big brands. And and mm-hmm. if they were fighting for you know bowl position or play, all that stuff, man, people would have been like, what a great schedule. What a great non-conference op- op- opportunity to put yourself in a position to compete for things. But if you're not any good... Those schedules just bury you. Yeah. No, they, they get you fired. Yeah. And there's no way around it. And uh, will be an interesting year, certainly at Syracuse for Dino Babers. Uh, you mentioned at Louisville. We just talked about Georgia Tech. Uh, there's some new coaches, too. Uh, they'll get right. uh, they'll get their introduction. And, and certainly for us, it'll start with uh, the guys at UVA and Virginia Tech. And yeah. very much looking forward to it and uh, going to enjoy it. We hope you guys enjoyed listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. Enjoy the football. And please join David and me again next time.